All right. Welcome, everyone, to the 77th Fireside Chat. Thank you, Oliver, for running this server and arranging this for us. And thanks, Justin, for doing all of the editing. I'm going to do something a little different to start off. Um, we have a question from someone who's been on the MBT forum for several, several years. So this is coming um, from the forum on the source of dreams. Uh, Tom, you said in a post on the forum, all dreams are not of the same type, nor do they all spring from the same source or have the same functionality. Can you elaborate the sources of dreams and does the IUOC create dreams for the free will awareness unit? Um, I would more likely say that the larger consciousness system creates dreams for the free will awareness units rather than the IUOC. Um, no, all dreams are not the same. There are uh, there are those dreams that are created by the LCS, and mostly those are dreams of learning, dreams where you're put in a situation where you have to make choices. Dreams that give you a oh a situation where you have to learn something. Like a, like sometimes people will get a series of dreams that seem to always put them in a very frustrating situation. You know, they they need to get someplace, but it seems to be impossible. Or every time they try to you know they're they're selling their house, but they can't seem to ever get it cleaned up and ready. You know, but today's the day of the sale, and nobody's cooperating, and just dreams of frustration well those are dreams that the system gives you because dealing with frustration is part of growing up you know being able to look at those things and say well it is what it is i'll have to deal with it and i'll be late or whatever will happen it'll have to happen and that's the way it is kind of accepting things as they are and and going on uh, rather than getting more and more frantic and more upset and blaming everybody else for it not working and you know, otherwise a big ego response. So those are dreams, particularly you know that you're getting lessons when you get similar dreams. It won't be the same dream necessarily, but similar dreams. Yeah. And they all have this same sort of theme to it, is that uh, you're in charge and everything is falling apart and you just can't seem to get it to all go right. And the harder you try, the worse it gets. And that's just one one set of dreams. There's all kinds of series of dreams that you can get. Some some of the series of dreams have to do with you uh, um, jumping to a violent solution immediately. Oh, this thing doesn't seem to work out right. Oh, these are really bad people. And instead of trying to deal with that in some other way, the first thing you do is you know whip out your your great sword of truth and start you know hacking hacking away you know at the at the evildoers and yeah that's a series of dreams that uh, you get to to uh, help you get over the violence is the is the first choice solution so anyway there's lots of dreams that that are given to us and you tend to know them because they're they're little almost like skits little vignettes that there's a, this little thing there's something going on there's a issues you have to deal with things you have to do and it's just a setup like you just find yourself there you know there i am and i'm in this house and it's still got all you know furniture and big messes in it and the people are coming to take it over in three hours and you just sit in this situation or you're a short order cook 
and uh, you know, suddenly 300 people converge on your little stand, and and you have more orders than you can possibly take care of, and you start getting flustered. It's just, or there you are uh, on a on the third story of a burning building, and you wake up, and you notice it's burning. So what do you do? You know, these kinds of things are are little stories, little skits that you're thrown into to see how you'll react. And the neat thing about dreams is how you react is how you really are. Unless you're lucid in your dream, you're reacting right out of your being level. So the things you do there are the way you are. That's the, that's the key thing to remember. Now, in a lucid dream, that's not the case. Now you're back in charge. Your intellect can work. Your ego, your, you know, your, your fears, all that stuff can kick in and start changing your choices, modifying your choices. But most dreams, that's not the case. Now, there's other kinds of dreams that are just habit. You do something over and over and over again. The one that's a favorite of mine that, that got me one uh, one uh, December was you know you lick uh, two hundred uh, envelopes you know you're doing Christmas cards you got two hundred envelopes and you spend five hours sitting at your kitchen table you know licking envelopes and writing names and putting little things in there and you know at the end of five hours it's two o'clock in the morning and you finally got them all done so you put them in a pile put a rubber band on them and sort them and then you go to bed and what do you dream about? You dream about licking envelopes, so you start licking envelopes all night long. Well, that's not something the system gives you. That's just you've, you're so wound up in that that you dream about it. And anything you're wound up in like that, you can have dreams about. So there are all kinds of, of uh, situations and dreams. A lot of times there's things that are, that are just in your life that are usually stressors in your life and it's like licking the envelopes because there are stressors in your life you tend to revisit them and revisit them they're, they're things that are hard to let go of and you'll dream about those things but those in those dreams you can actually solve some problems of how you approach things because you can approach things in different ways oh i'll approach it in this way and see how that works out so you can uh, you can kind of use those those dreams but anyway dreams are are uh Many and varied for lots of different reasons, come from lots of different sources. Some of them you create, like licking envelopes, you know, that wasn't given to me by the larger consciousness system. That's something I take full responsibility for, you know. Um, so some of them you create, some of them are given to you, some of them are maybe some of each, you know, pieces of each. You get started off on one of your own creations and it ends up into a story that the system gives you. So... If you want to, and if you want to get more out of your dreams, journal them, pay attention to them, have an intention to dream and to record them and to remember them. If you don't have that intention, you'll tend to just, you know, kind of ignore them. And you dream, and you wake up, and you kind of know you were dreaming, and two or three minutes later, you don't even remember what it was about, and they're just gone. But if you start trying to remember them. And you do that by, as you fall asleep, you tell yourselves 10 or 20 times, you know, I want to remember my dreams. I want to remember my dreams. And as I remember them, I'm going to wake up and write them down or get a little uh, cassette where you can just talk into it, you know, tell about it. 
whatever. But if you put focus on your dreams, then you'll start dreaming more and your dreams will get more productive. And you'll probably get more of those dreams from the LCS because now you're paying attention and you're more likely to be able to learn lessons. So the system will step in and start giving you more dreams that are uh, learning dreams if you pay attention to them. So I guess that's about it on dreams. I don't know what else uh, I could I could tell them. Uh, they're 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 fun and they're educational. Well, Tom, you've often said that the choices you make in your dreams are count as much as the choices that you make here. Is that true? Well, yes. A dream is just another reality in which you make choices, and choices in any reality are choices that either help you evolve or de-evolve. So there's moral choices to make. There's choices about ego, choices about belief. And it doesn't matter what reality you make them in. You make them in an out-of-body reality. You make them in a, in a, a, a lucid dream or a, or a regular dream. makes no difference. Information is, is real. There's nothing more real than information. All of these dreams are information. The source of the information is irrelevant, doesn't matter whether the source comes out of your, your own uh, mind or not. You have a situation, you make a choice. And if those choices are good quality choices, you tend to evolve. If they're poor quality choices, you don't evolve. Or if they're bad choices, you de-evolve. So indeed, there isn't any, there isn't any special value to what we call the physical reality. In our physical reality universe, it's just another virtual reality. We interact in multiple virtual realities, and every one of them is just as as important and just as significant as far as the choices we make. All right, thank you, uh, Arthur. Please go ahead. Okay. Um, so, if I'm not mistaken, I remember you once mentioned that we usually match the quality of consciousness we, we achieved in the past life. When we are at our 30s or 35 years of age, what is the logic of this process and why is that so? Probably the most efficient way the system found. Is it because of external conditioning and avatar limitations? We need some time to adjust and overcome. So an older soul with a higher quality would learn or remember more easily when it comes across the same kind of issues it has already learned in past lives. Um, yes, uh, the, the higher the quality of consciousness, probably the quicker it regains its, you know, it re-earns its quality. So uh, that's true. So if it's a very high quality of consciousness, it may be pretty obvious that it's a high quality of consciousness, even when the avatar is, you know, only six years old. You know, if it's a real high quality, it comes much, much more quickly. But typically, <clears throat> you know, what it, what happens is that you come here with the potential, with the with the quality, and that means you have a very, you know, your potential is such that you should be able to at least get back to that level of quality. But you have to earn it. You have to make choices that represent that quality. The quality, the quality is is kind of defined in terms of the, of the quality of the choices you make. So it has to wait for a while until you have an opportunity to make enough ethical and moral choices, you know, to enable you to kind of regrasp 
where you were. So if you're six or seven or eight or 10, you don't make so many moral and ethical choices. You do, but they're on a very small scale. But the older you get, the more these choices become serious, the more these choices affect other people, the more these choices, you know, have consequences. So as you get older, you, if you make these choices well, well, then you kind of regain where you were. And you should make them because you've done it before. You've grown to that point where you made those kinds of choices. But if you were just lucky last time and things worked out well for you where you weren't really challenged, maybe this next time your challenges are a lot tougher. And it may take a while, you know, for you to to regain what you had, or you may not regain what you had. You know, it may be a really tough, you know, some lives are more challenging than others. <clears throat> so a real challenging life, you probably do real well to break even, you know, or, or grow a little bit if it's a really seriously challenging life. But if it's, uh, on the other hand, you get more credit for doing well in a really challenging life. You know, it's it's like anything else. You know, if the test is really, really hard and you pass it, well, there's more there's more learning going on than if the if the test was really easy and you pass it. So it takes some time. So when I said mid thirties, you know, like let's say for some it could be six years old, for some it could be, you know, sixty six years old, and for others they they never get it back because the challenge was a little more than they were up for. So it's it's all over the place. But typically somewhere in the thirties, people start, you know, making enough ethical, moral, important choices that affect other people, that their quality starts to stand out. Up until that time, up through the 20s, well, you know, they, they have good good times and bad times. You know, they make, they make some really good choices and they make some really terrible choices. It's kind of a mixed bag. But by the time you're in your 30s or mid-30s, that should have settled down and the number of bad choices should start to go away. You start, you're more mature, you're more grown up, you have a bigger picture. So that's why I said somewhere in the middle 30s is where you kind of regain what you've lost. It's just kind of a typical, a typical number. Okay. And now there's another one. So uh, when people are abusive repeatedly or seem to be constantly taking advantage of situations, I feel irritated. It's usually something I can let go of in seconds, but the energy can be felt and sometimes it's strong. When trying to find the fear, my intellect says, uh, I get this feeling because the other person is not making an effort to be different. And this is not a fear of mine. Is it me wanting people to be the way I want? How to deal with this feeling? What is the fear behind? Okay. <clears throat> the, uh, the problem there is that when somebody is, is being abusive, and you can see that they're not learning a lesson. You know, that abuse just keeps on going or maybe even is growing and they remain abusive. You get a little upset about that. That bothers you because you don't, you don't like that behavior. You don't want that behavior to take place, but you know, you're not the master of the universe. <laughs> you don't get. You don't get to wave your hand and say, oh, everything bad needs to stop and everything good needs to continue. That's not your place. Your place is to make sure that you don't 
be abusive and that you are kind and considerate of people. And you can look at that abuse and, and see and say, well, is there, is there anything I can learn from that? You know, is there anything about me? Now, maybe I don't do those things, but is there any other ways that I do that, that I take advantage of people or I demand things of people? And you can maybe learn from it, but you have to realize that that person that's being abusive is not very ground. They've got a low quality of consciousness. They're struggling, and they're not doing very well. So you can then think, well, is there anything I can do to help them, to help them outgrow that, to help them grow up? Sometimes there is. If it happens to be a person that's very close to you, like a relative or a parent or a child or a spouse, well, then you can give them, you know, you interact with them all the time, so then you can give them safe space. You can not react negatively. You can stay positive. You can try to give them positive feedback. When they are doing good things, you can praise them, you know. When they're, when they're not, you can kind of look you know, let them see that, you know, that uh, it's not that you're upset or not that you're going to, you know, throw them away or something, but that's, you know, you don't like that. But you give them a safe space in which they can change, because if you go and grab them and shake them and say, stop that abuse, that's wrong, they'll, they'll get even more abusive. It'll make them worse, not better. So you have to let them be. And if there, if it's a situation where you can't really help them, it's a coworker, maybe. Yeah, well, there's not much you can do there with that coworker. You can try to be positive, but you, you know, you don't have as much leverage there as you would say if it was somebody you lived with. Mm-hmm. So you may not be able to do anything about it, which means you just have to deal with it in a positive way. So that means you don't set yourself up for that abuse. <laughs> you, you see the pattern and you stay clear of it. And you maybe are trying to be helpful to those people that do get abused so that they don't get as hurt by it. And you might um, try to be as positive as you can to that person and kind of see what's going on. You know, what's at the root of that abuse? See if there's something you can do, but sometimes you can't help it. There's just nothing you can do about it, in which case you stay clear of it. You maybe warn some of your coworkers, you know, what don't, don't bring up these subjects, you know, around that person. Uh, you know, don't do these kinds of things because they tend to go off and, and get abusive if you do. So you deal with it positively, not negatively. You don't let it bother you. It is what it is. You do what you can, but if you can't do anything, you accept that too. And you go on. That person's going to have to learn. They're going to have to grow up. And... They have to do it themselves from the inside. There isn't anything you can do to make them grow up. Giving them a safe space, uh, be, becoming positive so that they will be more likely to maybe listen to you or you know, allow you to talk to them so that you're not one of those, you know, the enemy in their, in their mind. So life is like that. Life often will give us circumstances where we just have to deal with things that are negative. So where does that come from? Well, it comes, the anger or the the feeling annoyed or the anger comes from the ego. And the ego says, I don't want things to be that way. 
things should not be that way. That person should not be that way, and it upsets me that they are. Well, that's a little bit of self-centeredness is the life needs to be the way I, I know is right. You know, I know that that is wrong, and life needs to be adjust itself to be the way I want it to be. And, of course, life doesn't do that. <laughs> life just is the way it is. There's lots of players in the game, and some of them are pretty ungrown. So it's a it's a challenge to be positive in an environment that is negative. That's a big challenge. And a lot of people have that, not just with individuals being abusive, but with corporations being abusive, with governments being abusive, with organizations being abusive, you know, with police being abusive. We have all sorts of things that are in our environment that people struggle with because there's abuse in their environment and there's nothing they can do about it. Well, if it makes you angry, then you become part of the problem. You've just added more anger, you know, more fear to the situation. If it makes you so angry that you, you know, go get a gun, you know, now you're even a bigger part of the problem. So the thing is, you need to deal with it in a positive way, because dealing with it in a negative way will only make it worse. I mean, people think it'll make it better. Oh, I'll go beat that person up. Well, that doesn't fix anything. Yeah. Right? It may change a little behavior there, but it's not going to fix the problem. It may change the symptom because now they may be frightened to be abusive. So maybe they keep their mouth shut more and everybody likes that better, but it's only a, a symptom that's changed. That person is still the same person, and that abuse will just come out someplace else. That will just now be a place where that abuse doesn't come out, but it'll come out some other place. So have you actually done much good for the world? No, you've just, you know, you've just taken this abuse and moved it from here to someplace else. And that's not really helpful either. So anything you can, anything you do through, through anger and being upset tends to make it worse, if not for you, for somebody else. So that's the problem. So you have to just be positive and say, well, they are, they are. They're doing the best they can with what they've got. They have a low quality of consciousness. They're struggling. They're unhappy. They're miserable. They're lashing out because they feel small. They feel inadequate, whatever. It's their struggle. Very unhappy people. Deal with it in a positive way. And the first, okay. the, the first thing you do is not be negative. Okay, thank you. Tom, if dealing with it in a positive way, um, does that, and you're not, you know, angry or frustrated, does that enable the um, behavior to continue? Is that just no. as bad? No, that's not enabling. Okay, now you can also be an enabler of bad behavior. Okay, now if you... You know, if somebody's behaving very badly and you you react badly, you know, there's a, there's a couple of things you can do to, to make it worse. One is, is you can act badly. Now the whole thing escalates. Now you have two people acting badly or you just had one person acting badly to begin with. So you've doubled the problem. But if you do something that encourages the bad behavior, Okay, now one of the things you can do to encourage the bad behavior is to fight with it because that'll make it worse. They'll just fight back harder, fight more, you know. 
If another thing you can do to enable the behavior, oh, I don't know, would be to uh, to feed it. Well, you feed it by being the victim. You know, if you if this let's say this person, uh, um, no, I don't know what the bad behavior is. Let's say they uh, they get angry. Well, you can feed that by just doing things that make them angry, or by coming up there and and um, I don't know whatever it is, pushing their buttons, by being the willing victim. You know, let's say they pick on people who do certain things. Well, you could keep doing those certain things, you know, that sort of thing. So you can feed it, and then you are part of the problem. You know, the, the classical example of, of uh, being a part of the problem, I mean, classic example of, uh, of being an enabler is, you know, the alcoholic who wants you to give them money for alcohol. Well, maybe you feel sorry for them, and they're having withdrawals, and they're your favorite uncle, so you give them a little money, and they go out and buy a bottle of cheap wine. Well, but you're part of an enabler for them, for that alcoholism. You're helping them be a successful alcoholic, you know, which means an alcoholic who can get alcohol. So in that case, the, the better thing to do for your favorite uncle is to say, no, you know, don't give them money. So that's being an enabler. So because you're not fighting back, because you're not, you know, uh, you know, trying to punch them to make them stop or something, you know, that, that doesn't make you an enabler. You stay positive. You being positive won't enable them. You being positive will actually help them stop because they don't get the reaction they're looking for when you stay positive. What feeds them if you play the willing victim? If you say, oh, no, you're being so awful, you're being so horrible, you need to stop that, and then they go out and they go off into a rage, well, that just feeds their rage. Just like feeding an alcoholic more alcohol, that just makes it worse. Now you're part of the problem. Even if you do all of that with a smile on your face, you keep feeding the problem. So, no, don't feed the problem. Don't feed it at all. But don't fight with it either. Let it be. Stay stay away from it if you can. Walk around it. <laughs> Minimize it. If you have to interact, interact in ways that won't trigger it. Right. Thank you, Tom. Cheryl, please go ahead with your questions. Hello, Tom. Hello, Cheryl. Thank you so much for everything you do for all of us. It's so helpful. And the struggle is real. (laughs) But growing up is so worth it and it's so helpful. Okay. I'll go to this one first. You have stated that for the most part, on the big part of a bell curve, that women use intellect on the inside world of relationship and men use intellect on the outside world of physical matter. Isn't it possible that some people can use the intellect for both and that they can use intellect for both inside world of relationship and outside world of physical matter? If so, would this greatly expand the decision space by being able to access more data? And would this also confuse other IUOCs and cause fear in them just because of the different vibe these people would have? 
And they, they, and they would also maybe seem like magicians since most people on the big part of the curve can only use intellect in one way. Well, Cheryl, to begin with, uh, what I said was, was not quite the way you said it, although I, I see where you were coming from. You know, men and women use their, use their minds in all ways, you know, and I was talking about kind of, I was generalizing and what comes down to that women tend to pay more attention to relationship than, than mm. men do. And men tend to pay more attention to the outside world than the women do. But women pay attention to both and men pay attention to both. It's just, you know, it, it, it's where they, they tend to focus their, you know, their, uh, their intentions. So women will know a lot about relationship, who's doing what with who and why and how and when and, and, you know, they are, they are right there to send a thank you card and, you know, to do all the nice things that help lubricate, you know, relationship mm -hmm. and men, not so much, <laughs> you know, they're not too aware of those kinds of details. So it's the same with the outside world. You know, most men, well, you know, change the oil in their, you know, in their car because it saves them $30 and it's not all that hard to do. Most women would rather not bother. It's messy and there's, you know, it's just not a thing a woman is, really cares about. You know, she'd rather pay $35 and have somebody do that for her. So it's just that males and females have different attitudes toward different things. So it's a very generalized thing that I said, not that all women are this way and, you know, and not that way or vice versa. Men and women both do both, obviously. Men also pay attention to relationships. Women also go out in the outside world. But as a group, that's just a tendency. You know, somebody asked me, like, some of the differences between male and female, and I just offered that out as, a, as an example. But, yes, also there are females who are just the opposite, who don't spend a lot of time, you know, paying attention to relationship and do work out in the outside world very, very well. And there are males who spend a lot of focus on relationship and kind of stumble through the outside world. You know, they, they don't relate to that. So you can find the exact opposite exists as well, because the, the attributes of male and attributes of female run a, a huge gamut from, you know, very much this way to not at all this way, you know, if you look at it. But then there's this bunch around the center, you know, where the way most people are most of the time. And that's really what I was talking about, that fat part of the curve most of the time. So, yes, those people who are on the out on the, the, the wings of the curve, you know, out on the edges of the curve, that they don't fit in to the center real well because they're different. You see, and when you are, when you happen to be a person that is not, not average, or you might even say not normal in the sense that normal means average, right? That's what normal means. You know, you, it's, it's at least that's the mathy term of normal is that it's, it's average. It's typical. It's the way most people are. Well, if you're out an outlier on the curve in some behavior, it may not be all your behaviors, but just in a particular behavior, a particular attitude. Well, that means in that way, you are different. You don't fit in quite as well. You're not 
you're different than your peers. Well, a lot of people find themselves different than their peers in at least one or two things. Like there's maybe 10 or 20 things here that, you know, kind of make up our personalities. And a lot of people have a difference in one or two of those things. That's not that unusual. So you're a different person in some ways. You're unique. We, as a, as a society, need that uniqueness. That uniqueness is really valuable to all of us. Sameness is boring. Sameness doesn't help growth much. Growth comes from challenges. Challenges come from things that are different, that are not just the same old, same old all the time. So we need diversity as a, as a culture, as a people, as individuals. So that's good. It's wonderful that there are people who are different, and they should not only accept that difference, but embrace it. This is me. This is how I am. This is how I feel. And other people should also embrace it because it's something different. It's unique. Everybody's unique. So we all kind of have our own differences, some more than others. You know, now in statistics, they have this thing called a standard deviation, which is how far away, how different you are from the normal, from the average. And typical, if you're like, and they call that sigma. Sigma is the, is the little Greek letter that they, that they put equal to the standard deviation. So you probably hear people say, well, he's a three sigma or he's a 10 sigma. That just means he's three times the standard deviation as far as their difference goes. So a lot of people are, are, are different, you know, but if you're a 10 sigma or a 20 sigma and you're way out on that curve, then you're very different. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Embrace it. It's good. It's who you are. Enjoy it. Live with it. And other <laughs> other people, if they are worth your time to be friends with them, they'll embrace it as well. They'll accept it as well. And if they don't accept it, they're not really high enough quality for you to be spending much time with them. Because that's another measure of quality, when you can only accept those things that are just like you. you know, I only like people who are just like me. That shows a kind of a low quality of consciousness. That's not uh, you know, that's not very high quality. I only like people who are my race, you know, my sex, my my height, my build, you know, who do this, who that, my income bracket, my whatever. You know, they all have to be just like me, and they're the good people. And everybody that's different, you know, they they frighten me. You know, well, that's a that's a very uh, small small picture little tiny picture. People get that way who live in very, very small realities. You know, we used to talk about people who were uh, provincial, you know, those people who uh, grew up and never got more than 20 or 30 miles from home. You know, they, they grew up, they got jobs, they worked, they lived, they had families, and they'd never been more than, well, these days, maybe a couple hundred miles from home. Mm-hmm. used to be like 20 miles from home because 20 miles was a long way to walk. But in any case, those people tend to be very provincial and they tended to be very narrow-minded and had very small realities. People who traveled a lot met a lot of differences, saw a lot of different people doing different things in different cultures, and they suddenly had 
a bigger picture of reality and of people and of possibilities. And they were called sophisticated because they had this bigger picture. And the others were called provincial because they had this little picture. Mm. Well, that same thing happens with personalities. Those people who only feel comfortable around people who are just like them, they tend to live in little small realities. They're what we used to call provincial. And those people who have traveled a lot or who have interacted with people who are very diverse, who have all kinds of, of uh, uniqueness about them, well, they tend to be more sophisticated. They tend to have bigger pictures. They tend to, to see things. Uh, they tend to be more accepting. You know, they see bigger patterns, more accepting of, of diversity. So that's a good thing. So people like you who are different actually contribute a lot to the world and to the society just in being different. <laughs> being different is not a bad thing. Being different, you'd be proud of your differences. Well, I'm glad I could help. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Be proud of your differences and, and embrace them. And people who are sophisticated enough to also embrace them should be the people you make friends with. And the people that are too narrow-minded to embrace them are the people you should leave alone. It, it, also, too, like, I, I can feel that like when I when I first meet someone um, and it's almost like there's a sensor there, you know, and they sense this thing and she's just not quite what I'm, I think she should be doing or saying or whatever. And I used to take it personally. And, and now I'm learning to understand that I may be just outside their wheelhouse. And so mm -hmm. I, I try to kind of just start scooting away as fast <laughs> as I can because there's that thing I don't want to increase their fear and entropy. I don't want to cause right. a problem, but I'm a problem just because I'm me, you know? And so it's like, <laughs> right. I just try so I scoot <laughs> out of the future. <laughs> and I, sometimes I don't know what to do because you can't slide out of the screen if you need to. So yeah. I try to just, you know, stay calm and a little quieter. <laughs> I, 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 I do struggle with that because I do live in a in a small town. Well, that's a challenge for you then. And that challenge will help you grow up. So you're doing the right thing. You're learning how to deal with it and deal with it positively. Don't let it bother you. Don't take it personally. Let it be. And, you know, you get to choose the people you hang out with. I mean, you don't get to choose all the people at work and you don't get to choose all the people you meet on the street. But you get to choose the people that you hang out with. So, yes. yeah, and you can choose those carefully and you deal with the others as you have to deal with them. Yes. And do it positively and you're doing it right. So it's just a part of life. Think of that as, you know, you being different also helps you grow up. Not only does it help everybody else grow up, but it helps you grow up because it gives you particular challenges, things you have to do. You have to not let it you know, be personal. You have to accept people the way they are. You have to not get angry or upset. So it's a growing thing for you. It's mm -hmm. a growing thing for everybody else. Yes. So see, it works out. And that's really true for, for everybody. That's how, that's how, you know, life works. We all help each other. You know, we're all in this mess together. <laughs> <laughs> and, by the, and by the things we do, you know, we all learn from each other yes. and it's a good thing yeah okay this is uh the next one 
I have finally learned the hard way in many instances to not interfere with anyone's decisions, free will, and problems unless specifically asked to not solve anyone else's problems because they need that problem to grow up. Mm -hmm. I got a lot of sticks from the LCS for interfering. <laughs> but as I've worked very hard at reducing my fears, belief, and ego, people around me can see that I've changed a lot. And now they are asking me more and more questions. I feel this tension of, I do not want to interfere in your process, <laughs> and I'm going to get the stick if I do. It makes me unsure of what to say. I am torn between just smiling and being positive and being an example of putting others first and saying something that may slow the process. Can you please talk about how to help others without interfering in their process? It feels like the system wants me to shut up and say <laughs> things at the same time. I'm a little confused. I have said some things that I saw really helped the person I was talking to, but I've also seen that what I said did not help the person by the big stick I got in return. Can you please speak about specifics of what helps others and what is interference? Well, that depends on who you're talking to and the state of their mind at that moment. So it's very, oh. situ it's very situational. Okay. There's no, there's no general um, no, no general thing to do or not do other than two things you need to encourage. One, being aware of other people, how they feel, where their emotions are, where their feelings are, so that you can sense them, sense mm -hmm. their mood. Okay? And that, that awareness is akin to empathy, where you connect with other people's feelings. Mm -hmm. So try to see things through their eyes see you know the way they see the world the way they think about the world and if you can do that if you can see reality through their eyes then you'll know the things that you can say that will be helpful and the things that you would say that would not be helpful now you, you have a sense of that because you have some idea of how they're going to react to whatever it is you tell them and then you can come up with things that are helpful you don't have to tell them everything. You know, people have to people have to take one step at a time yes. to learn. They don't learn through a giant leap. You know, oh, I'm here and no. I'm angry and I beat up everybody I see. And yeah. now, oh, I get it. Now I'm going to go around and help everybody I see. Thing doesn't work like that. You know, you, you learn one little step at a time. So you can think about the person, who they are, how they feel, how they see reality. And think, what would be the, a little step? What would be a first step? Something that would just kind of make them think about it. Not give them an answer, necessarily, but just help them think about the possibility that there might be a solution. Mm. You know, that kind of thing. That's well, good. Well, then you just put that out there and see what they do with it. If they hop right on it and, you know, and, and work with it, well, then you can give them another little tidbit, you know, that... Uh, helps them a little more. But if instead they take it and throw it away and stomp on it, you know, <laughs> you know not to pursue that path. Right. You know, you leave it alone. So you tread lightly and you become aware of them so that you can you have a real good idea of how they feel and how they think. And don't make the mistake of thinking that everybody thinks like you do, you know, because mm -hmm. a lot of people will do that. They'll say, well, if it was me, 
and somebody told me this, I'd say, oh, thank you very much. I, I needed that, you know, and you'd then grab the information and use it. But other people won't necessarily be like that. So you have to get inside their head, in their emotions, say something that will be helpful. Doesn't mean give them the answer. It means mm-hmm. just to say something that will be helpful just to get them to think in the right way. That it just like points at it or it doesn't say what it is. Right. It's just like a, what's that over there? Have you seen that? (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of times you can, you can kind of point to something else or some other thing rather than you doing it. If it's going to be a problem of you saying something to that person, and that might be a problem, then point to something else. Say, well, you know, um, I just I just read a book a book you know a couple of months ago that kind of talks to things like that, and uh, I'd, I'd be happy to you know let you borrow it, and even oh, if they go and yeah. even if they and even if they go oh no 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 thanks well you know two or three weeks later you can you can say oh yeah here's that book I brought it by you know you want to take a look at it and just hand it to them and then walk away, well now they can look at it or not look at it. And then maybe a month or two later, you can say, well, you're done with that book. If, if you are, I'd like to have it back, you know. And so you've not told them, go read this book, you know, right. because that's too pushy. Yes. But you've just done something and you haven't told them. You've just given them a source, mm. something they can look at. So you can do things like that. So if you have, uh, you know, if that way it's not coming from you. So So it's not like a. Well, how dare you tell me what to do? You know, you're just giving them a source of information for themselves. Mm-hmm. But try, try that. So be sensitive to others. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a skill in itself to be able to feel other people's feelings. And two, think, what can I do to help? And if you say, well, I could tell them how to, you know, <laughs> what they need to do. You, you need to cut that out and stop. Doing, you know, you say, well, that's not going to help. You know, what, what can I do to actually help? And. Often it's just a small step that lets them discover the problem and the solution all by themselves. Sometimes you just empathize with them. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you just say, yeah, I know how you feel. You know? yes. Sometimes life is really difficult, isn't it? The struggle's yeah. real. Yeah, struggle's real, right. So, you know, you just empathize. And that's all you got to say. You don't have to say anything more than that. Just let that hang for a while. Yes. Wait, and then they may come back to you because that was that was maybe the first thing that anybody said to them in a long time that wasn't negative. <laughs> that was right. actually com- that was actually comforting. Right. So go slow. Don't push. Let them. Oh, you know, no pushing. Give them. No pushing give them things. Give, give them things that are attractive to them, and then we'll wait and see how they deal with it. Then decide what the next step is. So it may take six months or a year to really help somebody out, but you'll more likely do it that way than if you try to give them the solution. Here's the answer. Here's what you need to stop doing, and here's what you need to start doing. It's too big a step. Tom Campbell here. I and MBT Events hope you liked this video. We now have well over a thousand hours of free video on this user-friendly, ad-free YouTube channel. 
Though these videos are free to our viewers, they represent many thousands of hours in production and editing, and many thousands of dollars invested in video and audio equipment, along with the required computers and software to store and process the raw video into finished products. So far, all of this content has been funded directly out of our own pockets. Be assured, we will always continue to do what we can. It's our life, our purpose, a labor of love that we will continue to pursue as best we can. However, those pockets are not as deep as they used to be. Thus, we are now seeking to augment our resources with support from our viewers. If you find something of significant value in our videos, please consider supporting their production through our Patreon account or through a one-time donation. The links are in the description below. Thank you.